As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support for people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. F. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> oh, there it goes. Like a North Korean missile launch test. <laughs> You're listening to Burning a weekly one hour <laughs> podcast covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. Uh,. I don't think Elon's on YouTube yet. I'm not sure if we can say North Korea. Can we? We can't even make it through the fucking intro. I'll tell you what. We're a bunch of professionals, but you know what? It's exciting. It's an exciting time because you know who's back with us. Go ahead and throw, put all three of us up here, J-Ping. Listen, I want to tell you something. You, the three musketeers are here, and there is no three people better at making fermented cheese to make all the must be the best in that three musketeers. You've got Matt Martin here, Ray Ito, and myself, all from the deep, dark stretches of Taintville, and we're ready to talk about turf. So, gentlemen, <laughs> why don't we just jump right into those headlines and see what's been going on? Nothing to fear here. This is just the well, today we've got the first one here. There is some uh, movement here, gentlemen, in the fertilizer industry, and oh, yeah. we're here to talk about it here with the uh, Michigan farmers, and they are trying to tell us a couple of things. One, the fertilizer markets are expected to continue a downward trend, right? So we made extreme volatility and record high prices. Fertilizer consum consumption suffered in 2022, but according to a new Rabobank report, a recovery in consumption is possible in some regions in 2023 with fertilizer prices lowering and commodity prices at historically high levels. Now they go on to talk a little bit about how P&K prices are softening a little bit, but nitrogen is still the volatile thing in the market, right? So they talk here about 2022 annualized volatility in urea prices up to mid-October was about 60%, three times more than the five-year average, right? So this is all waging while Europe is uh, back in the back in the news because uh, you know ammonia and uh, natural gas are at odds right now in trying to get those things produced at a level that makes it financially feasible to produce fertilizer over there. So the the rosy headline here, guys, it's usually not what we see so much in terms of uh, you know the clickbait stuff and everything like that. They're trying to portray a a, a rosier maybe a little bit of the, uh, the the puppy dogs and ice cream effect. Yeah, look, fertilizer's going down. Conception might come back up a little bit, but I'm not so sure about all this stuff, and uh, I just want to see what y'all think. One thing I will say is that uh, uh, urea is definitely trending down right now. Now, where this is going to get weird is, is that whoever's holding uh, urea commodity at higher prices, as was like, you know, buying over the last 
couple months because we're going into the end of the year in anticipation of spring planting. Uh, and uh, corn is also on a downward trend, and it's it's going to get real touchy around there uh, because if you don't have the corn prices to fetch the urea prices and vice versa, uh, it could get it could get a little hairy, a little quick. I'm hearing some of that on the back end. Uh, the other thing I'm hearing too on the back end is is that we do have a couple of big tenders coming, and uh, tenders are going to be bids from other countries that are asking to buy our urea production. Uh, the biggest, of course, that normally comes in a few times a year or, or several times a year is uh, is uh, uh, India. Uh, India kind of came in with one that was non expected, and uh, and I would say the uh, the next one is more so expected, but we're not seeing a whole lot of that in the commodity aspect right now. Uh, and then what's yet to be seen is if you know shit just gets really, really, really cold in Europe. It hasn't. And, uh, and that's a good thing because we keep running into issues with like wind dying down and, uh, and the price of household electricity skyrocketing because when wind going down, right? Well, this starts getting really, really, really cold and it starts putting uh, exceptional demand on natural gas. Uh, and then we start seeing a spike in natural gas. Of course, that's going to jump over into, uh, into urea as well. But I do agree that P and K needed to soften and softening we're seeing. And that's a good thing. You know, we do have increased production that was promised from Nutrien that's going to be coming online. Uh, Mosaic is supposed to be increasing production. That's supposed to be coming online. And uh, and we'll see if they hold true to their word. I would say what we're seeing in the market as far as the downward trend is anticipation of that uh, because that's supposed to be coming on in 2023 at some point. So, of course, when you're playing the futures, you're playing the news, right? And so we know that's coming. And is it going to fan out that way? As of right now, it is 100% looking like so. So if you can lock in your 100-ton contracts right now, then, yeah, you get to take advantage of, uh, of, of, the potential, of the potential that could potentially take place. What about you, Ray? What are you seeing? <laughs> Call back. Well, what I'm seeing is just more speculation. And, you know, this is not a sure thing. And just because there's a little bit of good news, that still doesn't do anything about how there's a move afoot to basically limit fertilizer consumption in various localities, like uh, what we talked about in previous weeks. And, but I will say this the places and the people that'll make out are the places and the people that have the sense to know that without production and without food, uh, we don't have people. <laughs> uh, and I think that's the, that's the main thing here is that uh, you'll see a variety of articles, I think, that are coming out, and we've seen it too uh, in these last you know, four or so weeks coming through stuff, is that uh, everybody has a different outlook. And I think you have to understand and consider the source, right? So, number one, mm. you know, who are you reading this from? Is it an industry publication? Is it from a financial institution, right? Or is it some think tank? Whatever, right? And so take your, uh, your sources with a grain of salt, first and foremost. But secondly, is look at what's happening around you. Matt made a great point there about, you know, there's a huge tenders that are coming back. You know, we had, um, you know, a number of contracts last year, right? Especially in India, right? That they pushed and said, hey, we're not going to take all that, right? We can't, we can't sell it, right? And is that same thing going to happen this year or are people going to start buying and the price starts to go up, right? And so I think that is going to be uh, very, very interesting. 
notwithstanding the fact that, you know, we talked a little bit here about, you know, diesel and distillates and things like that, you know, several shows ago, we're getting ready. We're bracing for the first real cold snap, especially in the northeast part of the United States coming up here. So how that sways the markets, right? And it's, you know, we've seen this cascading effect from, you know, the petroleum market down through natural gas and certainly into fertilizer. What happens here, you know, in the short run, say the next four to six weeks? I don't know, but it's going to be uh, a bumpy ride. So for those of you that, you know, are seeing some of these pricings, you know, go down, we've had some people ask us, and I'll ask this real quick here, is do you think, gentlemen, it is a good time? Would you lock in your fertilizer price now if you could and you had the space to store it, all that good stuff? Or would you wait and see what happens here in the next, oh, I don't know, three, four, five, six months? That's a million-dollar question. One thing I'll add to that is that up to this point is that China has been under lock and key with exports, right? And uh, and with the shakeup that's going on with COVID, like, for instance, if you were to export MPK out of China, it has to go through a review process, right? And basically, they're only letting out uh, compounded fertilizers. They're not letting out, uh, like, straight urea, straight phosphorus, or straight potassium. And uh, and so we might see some softening on that, which could shake up uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for competition from from global exports. And and so in my opinion, and this I'm just going to share my opinion right now, uh, I think with the potential of other markets facing recession, uh, I think an overall slowing of the of economic growth. Um, I was just looking at the latest quarterly reports uh, from uh, from the S and P, and and there's there's definitely a softening. It looks like we're going to be down about eleven percent uh, on on our average um, uh, uh, quarterly reports, and so EPS n- numbers are are going down. And so I think I think we will see a continued trend of softening of all inputs. We're going to get a few different spikes through spring because planting season, right? Uh, but I think the overall trend line will be downward. Just my opinion. Yeah. There you I, go. I think Ray? So too. Okay. Yeah, I think so as well. And the other wild card is, is that, like it or not, you mentioned China, and China is on the verge of another revolution. Oh, boy. Yeah. Already pissed nope. off. I mean, uh, yeah, we're, we're just... Yep, we're just going right down through yep. the whole Southeast of Asia, right there, and then all up to China. <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, the signs are there. And the reason why this is significant is when China locks down and says nothing comes in, nothing goes out, uh, guess who suffers? Guess who goes without? Yeah, because no, I, because China, I China, China to this time, they've enjoyed a measure of prosperity because of how they are essentially the main exporter of anything and everything the rest of the world could possibly want. But of course, twenty 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 one. In 2022, that all changed, right? Because here's the here's the rule: nothing going in, nothing coming out, and nothing moves. I mean, Matt, 
Can you imagine even ships not being able to enter China and the ships that are there already not being able to leave? No, and and I and I can say, you know, here's the reality of that situation is that you know, there's going to be a general lag, right? That if when that is enacted, the lag between when we feel it is is going to be is going to be uh, you know a time frame there, just based on the number of containers that are in motion and all that fun stuff. And right now, there's a, you know we're in the in the whiplash effect, right, where there's a shit ton of containers that are available. Uh, uh, oceanic uh, movement of materials is at is at lows. It's still well above pre-pandemic levels, but it's it's much lower right now versus you know where it was. You know, twelve thousand, fifteen thousand dollars to get a container over. Right now, you know, we're at six, seven thousand dollars to get a container over, and so we're getting more of those. Um, they're unloading faster. Uh, the the production increased the number of containers available. You caught up, and now we've got an excess of those. And so we're we're kind of in the whiplash effect. And so you know, say that did occur. Well, we've still got a metric shitload in transit that are going to be over here. And like a lot of the things that I've noticed that we've covered over the years is that. We'll start talking about something. We don't see it in in regular news production until you know anywhere from two to four weeks after the fact, right? And uh, mm -hmm. and so that's the thing you kind of got to be aware of. You've you've got to pay attention to some some more in industry uh, types of sources of information to be ahead of the curve on that because otherwise it'll show up and get you, and you had no idea because well it wasn't on NBC, it wasn't on ABC, it wasn't on on CNN or whatever. And uh, and so you know you kind of you kind of got to be plugged into the, the 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 weirder areas of the internet. If I if I don't say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Not that weird it's to called, me. Keep your nub near China. Yeah. Oh, I thought I thought I thought you were going to segue with that. No. Uh, yeah. No. I was, yeah. I, 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 I speaking of, there's some weird places of internet over there. Well, I think uh, we should yeah, find yeah, another way. To, uh, uh, we should use something other than our nub to find a different way to connect, Matt. And to do that, we're going to go on to our next <laughs> article. All right. So. <laughs> Soil in the Midwest is, is eroding up to a thousand times faster than it forms. UMass Amherst study finds it's coming out of the Boston Globe. So the rate of soil erosion in the Midwestern United States is 10 to 1,000 times faster than pre-agricultural rates, according to a new study from University of Massachusetts researchers. So they don't want to talk about, you know, the uh, basically the soil in the Midwest, some of the best in the world, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, this article, basically what they sought to do, gentlemen, is they looked at tiny trace amounts of beryllium-10. And beryllium-10 uh, has come down uh, through different um, meteors and other cosmic rays, things like that, right? And they're able to basically figure out where did we start with and where have we finished in terms of the amount of beryllium-10 in soil across the Midwest. So they took out uh, soil samples across 14 sites in Iowa, Minnesota, South Dakota, Nebraska, and Kansas, and use those as a basis for this test, right? So in this experiment, right, they looked at, uh, you know, pre-agricultural, pre-farming practices before, you know, Europeans came across and settled America and started what we now know as conventional agriculture, and an agrarian society shifted into an industrial society, all that, that it was eroding at about four one-hundredths of a millimeter per year. So the natural erosion rate uh, represents the soil's equilibrium point where soil accumulates as quickly as it wears away. So anything that increases that pace above that number, the soil suggests it's displacing faster than it's building up. 
So right now they're saying that that rate is somewhere up to up to a thousand times faster than the natural pace, and suggesting that this is eroding way way more quickly. So, um, gentlemen, what do you think here? You know, I think it's sort of like confirming what everybody already knew, but you know, what we also have a lot of things that have changed since uh, America and uh, the Midwest in particular was settled and what's going on in the present day. So where are y'all at on this? Are you worried about the soil eroding? Uh, I will say in in many instances, yes, I am worried about that. Uh, Now, I will say that the first thing this says is that the rate of soil erosion is 10 to 1,000 times faster. That is a monumental scale, okay? Uh, uh, 10 to 1,000 times, you know, imagine taking 10 times the dose of alcohol and then taking 1,000 times the dose of alcohol, right? <laughs> I, that, that kind of scale is just, is, is monumental. Deadly. Yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah, 10 drinks versus 1,000 drinks is uh, the difference between life and death, right? And so that, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Now, using beryllium-10 as the scale, I don't know enough about it, so I'm going to say that, yes, this is 100% correct and accurate and, and the best way we can go about measuring uh, uh, erosion rates. Now, I think where this does place greater emphasis is, is that what are the things we can do when it comes to crop production to mitigate um, um, uh, erosion? And the obvious thing, I think the most obvious thing is going to be no-till, Right. And uh, now mm-hmm. here's kind of the variation of, of no, no till. Okay, fuck you, bitch. Matt. Yeah, uh, is is that you know there's, there's more and more wide scale uh, uh, testing on um, uh, no till uh, 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 methodologies are being implemented and in, in trial across the United States. Is that it's not exactly uh, uh, always working out in everybody's advantage. And uh, I'll, I'll give you a fun, a fun little follow here is uh, Dr. Andrew McGuire. He's at Agronomist Ag on Twitter, and he covers a lot of specifically this. He likes to do a lot of fact checking on the uh, on the regenerative ag side of things and highlight the positives and the negatives and uh, and, and, and basically just show that there are positives and, ne- and negatives each. Now, does this mean that it could be? In combination of cover cropping, could this be in combination of drainage tiles? Uh, yeah, probably. There's not going to be one smoking gun to the whole thing. But if you put together a whole programmatic approach uh, towards solving this, then I think you could mitigate a lot of the erosion that we are facing. Because if there's one thing that that is for certain that I, I think is undeniable is that erosion, uh, exactly like it says right here, if left unchecked, unchecked is, is bad, uh, inherently bad. Ray? Yeah, absolutely. And here's where I have a question for everybody. You know, and I know that the best, you know, one of the better management practices for keeping soil covered and reducing erosion is no-till farming or no-till production, right? However, here's where it gets kind of milky in my mind. I'm not sure how it is possible to do no-till crop production organically. I'm not sure how that works out. Well, because one thing. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Because there is always going to be a need for 
you know, weed management within the crop. And from what I've seen of organic farming, they do shit tons of tilling and plowing. Okay? They are always digging the soil. They do a lot of digging. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure how, how that squares with keeping a field clean and in production. I think the one thing to highlight here from our perspective of the crop that we love the most, right, is in turf grass, right? So we, we know that soil erosion, that's one of the many benefits that turf grass offers. And mm-hmm. to drive that point home, they, there was a, a, a really good study done back in the uh, mid-Atlantic, oh, probably about 10, 12 years ago, where they looked at, you know, uh, different practices of caring for turf. And one thing that was interesting was that, you know, folks that didn't do anything, right? So if you just kind of let it go and... No weed control, you just mowed it, and that was about it. You know, the soil losses on those particular plots were far greater uh, than anything that was experienced by those that were taken care of. I think they did it uh, sort of like a a DIY approach, right, with homeowners taking care of their own stuff and then professionally Mm -hmm. maintained, you know, through a service or through a professional lawn care operator. And those are the ones that did the best, and that was specifically one of the things they looked at. Yeah. Ryan, you know, that brings me to kind of an interesting... uh situations that i see is that you know i'm in hawaii right and the requirement is for virtually organically maintained vegetation that is just mowed Mm. and the whole premise behind keeping that vegetation is to reduce the amount of soil runoff into the waterways and then into the surrounding ocean. So I have to ask, even though that is quote unquote organic, are we really doing any favors? Because I know for myself that a lot of the invasive species, they do a shit job of holding down soil versus say a maintained stand of Bermuda grass or St. Augustine. Absolutely. Now, and I think that's something that you'll see. So I, I would love to see, you know, them take some uh, beryllium 10 uh, samples off mm-hmm. of a, a turf area and then a, uh, a not, a, you know, a not well-maintained turf area and then an ag field. And let's see what happens. And we'll go from there. But real quick, from, we'll just take, oh, take oh, a look oh, at this chart real quick. And this oh, is oh, going oh, to oh. be years required oh, yes. to remove seven inches of, uh, of soil, right? And, uh, and basically this is, this is oh. looking at, uh, sod farming to, to remove a nub's worth of, uh, I guess that would be the tip of the nub, right? Of, of soil <laughs> past, past the knee. And, and we, we can look at, uh, at some, um, wow. Uh, right. where am I? I'm flushed. My God, <laughs> I need to take a shower. Uh, we, we can take 3,547 years to remove seven inches of soil and continuous turf grass side. All right, there we go. Uh, you can look at the others. There's your chart. Uh, if you're, if you're listening to this on podcast form, just open up the video. It's there. The name of the study is, uh, how much soil does a turf grass sod farm deplete? And this is from the turf resource center. There we go. Oh, we're going God. to this domain. We go go ahead and no, I know, no, this we're, hole. Oh, we're we're uh 
Well, there's there's a lot of beauty going on in that hole. Um, <laughs> let's jump over to my favorite, my favorite segment, Matt's favorite segment, Jono's Turf, everybody. Jono's <laughs> Turf! Yes. Yes. Hi, I'm Joe. I'm going to give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today because Joe knows turf. <laughs> now, listen, Joe, I, I'm glad this segment's now named Joe Knows Turf because uh, Joe was on here a few weeks ago, Matt, uh, as you may or may not know. And he shared with us, yeah, there was a lot that he didn't know. And the thing about Joe is that uh, he's a good guy. He just took some wrong turns here and there, you know, did a few things that, eh, you know, we maybe not, you know, agreed with. And I think we still respected the guy. You're just a little disappointed. And tonight I want to talk about a video that I, I saw. That's a guy I think we like and I think we respect. and. Uh, he, he just took a wrong turn here. We're going to watch this. So, uh, Jay Pink, go ahead and cue this up. Let's watch this here. Uh, how I'm sterilizing native soil. How I'm sterilizing native soil to make my own grass plugs. Uh, this is Brian, the turf mechanic. Let's go ahead and watch. Grass plugs today for my front yard. It's Christmas time. Crazy. But I want to do it in native soil. So, let's go out there. All right, so we can fast forward. He picks up some soil from the front. Go ahead and bump up to about, oh, I don't know, 55 seconds or so here. Jay Pink, keep on rolling. He gets that all out of there. And then he's going to bring it inside, okay? Now, here he is. Go ahead and play it. It's my backyard. Pause. Two things. One, it feels like, and when I watched this, I got like some Alan Hayne vibes. You know, from that soundtrack, you know, he's, he's he's got that like like flock of seagulls cover band Island thing going jams. on there, which is which is fine, which is fine. And the other thing that J Pink just reminded me of that added added the second thing for me was when he sped that up to one point five X. I feel like I got the star. All right, let's go ahead. All right, the concept here is if you want to use native soil to make some plugs. Um, or at least use native soil to grow seed inside the house and then take it outside later uh, when weather is better. I mean, the whole point here is we don't want uh, the undesirables coming back into our little seed pots that we're going to be making. Now, I use solo cups because you can buy them in bulk and they're not that expensive if you buy a lot of them. Uh, and they're deep, so that's why I use them. I just poke a little hole not in the bottom. That's all, that's all you really need. Pause. I just show up on frat row on Friday night in Knoxville and just grab a whole stack of those and walk right out. That's how I keep my research program <laughs> going. Go ahead. Now I'm pulling the large chunks out, but I'm purposefully leaving a few of them in here so you can kind of see what happens. So we've got little grass chunks, little grass chunks here. I've got like a full on like shoot, um, really woody shoot. And within here, there's a whole bunch of small ones, a lot of little root fibers. And there's weed seed in here, and there is grass seed. So uh, I probably have some kakuya grass and maybe some common Bermuda grass seeds in here. So usually when you buy seeds at the store, um, certain types of grasses, uh, they have to be coated. So kakuya grass seed has to be coated because it's so darn stinking small. And so when they're in the soil, you just don't even see them. 
uh, the common Kikuyu, the common Bermuda, and of course all of the weeds that we don't want uh, make seeds, they drop them in the soil, and that's why we have weeds. So if I want to use native soil to grow desirable grass from seed, I don't want the weed seeds in here. So what I'm doing, and I'm only doing a minor, like a tiny little, uh, a tiny, tiny little demonstration here for you, and I'm going to do the rest of it off camera, probably in like a wheelbarrow, uh, so that I could do larger chunks at a time. But I'm going to go ahead and put this. Look at there's a little ant. Yes. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take this, and I'm going to loosely put a lid over it. This is what we call, at least in the gardening world, we call um, sterilizing the soil. Usually you sterilize the soil when you're going to be doing seed starting. You can go out to the store and buy seed starting mix that is already sterile, but that costs a lot of money. And the seed starting mix does not match the native soil that you're going to be putting the grass into. That's why I think this is a pretty cool method. So you put some soil in there, you notice I'm not like filling it up like high. Uh, the higher you fill it, the more you're gonna have to do more time. You're gonna have to stop and stir. It's just like cooking. Uh, I'm just doing a small amount for demonstration because I'm only doing one plug. Two minutes. So long Pause. as the soil. Listen. There's a lot going on here. And for those of you listening on audio format, Brian has put a Tupperware container with the lid loosely on, which is, you know, that's an important fact, uh, into his microwave for a period of two minutes uh, to sterilize it, I guess? Yeah. Uh, and, of course, we, my ongoing question for this... <laughs> No, and, and my ongoing question is, is we know somebody that got his ass chewed because he had a little baked bean <laughs> accident in the microwave. Here it is, Terth. I mean, yeah, but no, no, okay. I want to know, know what would happen if your women caught you putting a Tupperware full of dirt in the microwave. I'm going to challenge that. I'm going to up the ante. I'm going to up the ante here. Now, he said before <laughs> that he was going to mm -hmm. do this as a small-scale example, and then he was going to use off-camera a wheelbarrow. Now, if you're a bigger, larger individual like myself, I'd like to know where I get my hands on a microwave large enough to put a wheelbarrow in because I'm thinking <laughs> about all the amazing possibilities of shit I can cook in bulk. Like, I'll just go get a whole goddamn pallet of the microwave french fries from Sam's Club and put them all in the fucking wheelbarrow and cook them up. It sounds delicious. Yeah, or what about the 25-pound yeah, the, the uh, case of chicken nuggets, right? Oh, Brian? yeah. yeah. Oh, right? Now, oh. the other, Matt, Matt <laughs> to your point about how hot this is going to get, this is only speculation, but if you've ever bitten to a hot pocket right as it comes out of the microwave, and it's boiling fucking lava hot. I think that's what we're going for right here. Okay. We I, I mean, I, I assumed, but, you know, I was just making sure we we're going to verify it. Because, I mean, theoretically, this does make sense to me to, to, to at least eliminate the, the, the seed content or at least uh, that plant material from regenerating in the grass. Matt, uh, it, but if, it takes if we're not going to hit a certain temperature. Yeah, we're not going to hit temperature, and we're not going to hold that temperature for... 
the necessary amount of time because I've always known soil sterilization as 150 degrees for an hour. That's minimum sterilization temperature. If you don't hit that, you're not, you're not doing anything. You're just messing up the microwave and you're going to piss off your lady and your shit's going to be out on the driveway. <laughs> is, is there something about the, the, the microwave rays that are, that are going to be con- contributing to this? Is it? No, I, because I, I you know, know, microwave rays, microwave rays do not penetrate. They only yeah. react with the outer surface of the soil. It's not like, what the Russians used to do where guess what the Russians used to do back in the old days? I don't know if I want to know. No, they used to gamma sterilize anything and everything. I'm talking about exposing stuff to a chunk of cobalt 60. Oh, make that fucker glow in the dark. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Play this. Let's see what <laughs> oil is a little bit moist and damp to the touch. Uh, you're basically going to be killing all of the soil bacteria, all of the fungi, everything. Yeah, everything yeah. alive in the soil is going to die. It's going to be sterile. That's the whole point here. Once it comes out, it's going to be very hot. And we're gonna, I'm going to put it here on the counter. I'm going to stir it up with a clean spoon and let it cool down. Yeah, Joe. Then I'm going to put my <laughs> sterile native soil into my little red Solo cup. i got to remember Pause. to poke that doesn't that sound, I mean, you put the TV dinner after this, doesn't that sound so Californian? You know, Kikuyu-infused Salisbury steak. Fuck that. Come on. All right. Let's I mean, mean but re- really, what's, what's the point in sterilizing it, right? If, 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 why, why are you concerned about the native bacteria and fungi? I mean, especially if you're going to be planting grass right back into it. It's, it's not going to go into it. It's coming right back. It's coming right back, but then uh, him doing this, is probably not even really going to kill the weed seeds or the rhizomes because yeah, two minutes. That, that's that's what that's I thought the initial outtake was. But there, he said he's going after fungi and bacteria, which which I think I think you're going to be hitting high enough temperatures to do that. Uh, but mm-hmm. I I don't I don't for what? Like what? Are, what are you concerned yeah, about? Why that? are you concerned that? Yeah, are you killing rhizoctonia and is never going to come back? Because if you think that's the case, that's a farce. It's I mean it's in air. You wish. Literally, you we, wish. We, we will breathe it in the air that, that, we're, that we're breathing right now through the course of the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know where this is going. Let's let it finish. I'm put it in the solo cup, and then I'm going to put my actual desired seed in there once it's so cool to germinate it. All right. Now we're done. That is literally all it takes to kill everything off. See how steamy it is? Now this grass, oh, it's steamy. Yeah, still green, but this is dead. Now that we've nuked it, and in theory, all of the, look at this, this is even floppy now. This Time's wasn't up, floppy it's over. before. We've cooked it, bitch. And let this cool down, and then I'm gonna sift the bigger chunks out for you know just for the sake of planting. And I'm gonna put the soil in here. If I need some more to do the cup, then I'm just gonna grab more. Because uh, I want to fill the cup all the way to the tippy top. If you notice, when I pulled the dirt out of the ground, um, Wait, I actually sunk. He went through the process of sterilizing it, but then he's just going to top it off with non-sterilized? Yeah. Fill it up to, with the cup? Oh, mm-hmm. man. You see, Mr. Martin, we were short on sutures, so we took some out of this cadaver over here in the morgue, and we sewed your 
whatever <laughs> up your nub. It's clean it up. Actually, we've, we've already, it came from your mom. It's the same blood. It's good. It's actually it's actually yeah. lacerated in an industrial wheelchair accident. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> All right. Oh. Listen, Brian. I you know listen. I, he puts out a lot of content, and I, I, I think like, he's trying. I like the the like you know get it done in the house for as cheaply as possible aspect, but I it's just that. Are you really accomplish anything by doing that? That's yeah. in, in that. My argument is that you're you're oh, yeah. really just spinning your wheels for no reason at all. I'm not sure what yeah, kind of sterilization to... you think you're truly getting out of that. Yeah, not not enough because even though it might seem like the some of the grass rhizomes and whatever is wilted, that is not enough to get to the weed seeds that would be within that mass of soil. So I'm not sure poor Brian. Could you imagine if it was like torpedo grass or something? I mean, it, would just, it wouldn't, even, wouldn't even touch it. Or zoysia or Bermuda. I mean, really, I mean, it would, it would not even do it. Or No, I got a good one for you. What if there were nutsedge tubers in there? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, no way. I'm not going to touch it. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, if not, if microwaves worked, man, I have an idea. I could get the, you know, a big enough magnetron, suspend that over <laughs> someone's lawn, and push the fucking button. Yeah. Okay. And I'm 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 gonna be on my side drink drinking the coffee, drink my coffee and, and watch stuff burn. Okay. <laughs> Hi, ma'am. My name's Ray. I'm with Kevorkian Lawns. I'd like to service your lawn today. <laughs> You All right, with that, and close the blinds. <laughs> Here's your lead vest. Stand over there. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, go, Pink. Let's think about somebody else who's had to wear a lead vest before around Ray. Let's get to the burns, Sheila. Tell you when Ray comes like a wildcat, you better have that vest on. All right, now uh, we're jumping over here. It's actually <laughs> we're all of those things. Uh, <laughs> the kind of stuff that Ray plays with in his bedroom isn't hidden between the mattresses or in an underwear or sock drawer. Let's just say that, okay? Now, all that being said, U.S. lawmakers call for enforcement of Mexico's USMCA biotech commitments over GMO corn ban. So. Uh, if you don't remember what's going on, we talked a little bit about this. Mexico is in the process of banning all GMO corn uh, from coming into their country, which kind of screws up a lot of the trade deals that we already have in place. So the letter signed by 24 members of Congress and led by Republican Representative Adrian Smith and Democratic Representative Daniel Kildee of the Ways and Means Committee, both of whom represent core producing states. They requested the dispute settlement consultations with Mexico over policies they said were quote-unquote, not science-based. All right, so, gentlemen, what they're talking about here is that uh, they want to go through the trade agreements with Mexico and basically say, uh, what y'all try to do are bullshit, number one, you know, because you can't stop us from selling this stuff. And number two, the policies that your country is trying to act that's going to not only disrupt trade for our country and severely undermine the way that we produce our crops here, is also not based in science whatsoever. So, 
you know, the, the, the heartwarming thing for me here, guys, is the fact that uh, we have bipartisan support of, one, people not fucking with agriculture, meaning other countries, and number two, that uh, somehow, some way in this government that we have, there are people that will still say that, hey, science matters, right? And this idea yeah. that the boogeyman in GMO corn is going to jump up and get you. Listen, you're ah. liable to eat. You're liable to eat, drink, and ingest about 15 to 25 other things in Mexico that'll kill you long before GMO corn will ever crawl up in your asshole, die, and leave you with dysentery to fucking rot. Am I right or am yeah. I wrong? No, you are totally right. And this is what a heartless move by the Mexican government because corn, okay? Corn is a staple in Mexico because without corn, no more tortillas, no more, no more tamales, uh, you know, and those are the two big things off the top of my head. And here's the thing, that GMO corn, if that were true as to GMO corn being the devil that it is, mm -hmm. goodness me, Ryan, uh, you'd be dead and I'd be dead a long time ago for one thing. Yeah, no You'd doubt about it, and, and let's because, be honest. Because, go ahead. Because the whole point of these genetically modified crops is literally to reduce dependence on more toxic pesticides because you know what else corn is modified to do? Resist attack by insects okay it's not only about glyphosate resistance yeah, bt corn it's also right about talk talk, talk about BT... that real quick educate yeah, okay. you know don't you have to go down the, the wormhole all the way but educate our listeners about bt corn how it works and why it's so important okay you know from the time that the corn is a seedling up until the time that it's ready to produce an ear of corn Corn is basically delicious to all matter of caterpillars. You know, it starts from the time that the corn is a seedling with, you know, cutworms. And you know what happens when you have a cutworm invasion and you just, uh, and your corn just emerged from the ground? You have crop failure. Your crop is go gone. And Ryan, you know, up until the time that BT corn became a thing, you know what they used to do in the cornfields? At the time that? of planting? They used to douse the soil with all kinds of shit that's now banned <laughs> just to keep the cutworms from eating the corn as it came up. Mm. And then, later on in the corn's growing cycle, you have corn earworm, right? And let mm -hmm. me tell you what corn earworm is. Corn earworm is a caterpillar that goes into the ear of corn and starts at the tip and just keeps on eating all the way down. It basically spoils that ear of corn because what it leaves behind in that ear of corn is no more corn kernels, just caterpillar shit. I mean... Sounds like so, a night with Sheila. 
Yeah. And the Starts worst part the tip, is about Eats the, all the way down, leaves it with the shits. Or yep, that. Yep. I mean, and to control corn earworm, again, to attempt to deal with that, you're talking about doing a lot of spraying with pesticides that are now either restricted or banned. And, so, and that's the point. That's the point here that I think even Congress, gentlemen, Congress, mm-hmm. right? Like these people Can are idiots. Down? Uh, yeah, that that this this was the one thing you know in the last ten years or whatever, right? That somehow we came to agree on something that was common sense. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It really is. But you know, I, mm-hmm. I guess from this sense, Matt, what you know, if if you were in their seat. If we were going to send uh, Ambassador Martin to, to the negotiating table for this, <laughs> what what would he say about the uh, the Mexican government trying to one restrict our trade and two restrict it based on some goofy cockamamie? And I'll go ahead and say it. I'll criticize it. It's fucking dumb. It makes no sense. So help me out yeah. here. Well. I, I'm going to assume I heard the rest of your question there, so you, you, you got a little laggy, but I'm going to go ahead and answer it based on what I think you were you were asking. Uh, first, I want to make a point and say that if I was sent over as a delegate to try and negotiate this, I would be in Mexican prison for the rest of my life. That is... Really <laughs> right uh, and then, uh, secondly, my approach would be like, what what exactly do you think is going to happen? Like, what is your what is your what is your desirable outcome out of this? Right. You know, we know Mm -hmm. how much you import. uh, That's that's no secret. Where is it going to come from and at what price are you going to get it and who's going to pay for it? Because that Mm -hmm. seems to be the giant mystery in this whole thing is that if they're getting 18 to 20 percent of their white corn right now from the United States, who's making up the difference? Where is it coming from? And if you're going to be imported from some other country, at what cost? So it's a, it's yeah, what, a strange uh, what cost? Yeah, the yeah. the the the, the self sacrificing uh, 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 underlying fact of this whole thing is what's so bizarre. Now, I'll say the second piece of this, and I'm and I'm gonna I'm gonna strike out at uh, our own brethren here internal in the United States, and this is because I listened to something the other day of uh, I can't I can't remember what it was. Oh, it was uh, what's his name? Uh, Tim Tim Pool was uh, talking about about glyphosate use in the United States. And I think this I think this plays right into the whole GMO uh as as food phenomena that we see uh from from food purists that uh these these types of foods are making you unhealthy. And and basically what the guy was saying is that he he ate organic for a very, very small amount of time and then he correlated that into that's that truly made the difference in how he felt. But here's the reality of the situation. And this is, and this is where if you really accounted for controls in this to, to provide an apples to apples comparison, what likely happened is that guy went from a diet of Kit Kat bars and, uh, and uh, uh, Reese's cups and then switched over to eating actual food for a week and then noticed that he felt different at the end of it, regardless of whether it came from GMO crops or organic produced crops or, or, or local farms or, uh, or farms from, from who knows where. The reality of the situation is that if you're eating real food, period, food that you're preparing in yep. your house and consuming, 
it's going to have mm-hmm. a tremendous health impact on you. So I want to get it out of the way that before people start saying, well, it's your health that you're sacrificing, that's bullshit. That is 100% complete and total bullshit. Until you can start start uh, 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 putting th- something in front of us that's peer review that shows outside of that, uh, then I will continue to hammer that. So if you are currently you know on a, a diet of, of uh, 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 hungry men, uh, microwavable dinners, <laughs> and then you switch all of a sudden to, to eating actual vegetables and shit, and you notice you feel better, I promise it doesn't matter whether it comes from a GMO or an organic crop source, uh, you, you will feel better because you're eating actual food again. Uh, and listen, <clears throat> go ahead, Matt, or go ahead, Ray. <laughs> you know, that is where I, I take the most issue with people that blame glyphosate for anything and everything because I have to think now, they accuse glyphosate of doing all of these things biologically within the human body. And you know what? My God, you know if that were true, Matt, do you know what would happen? Glyphosate would not be sold as a herbicide. The pharmaceutical companies would snap that up and turn that into a pill that costs you $100 a pill to take, if that were the actual truth. So I call crap on the idea that glyphosate does X, Y, and Z within the human body. Because here's one that I heard that kind of is of importance to me is that it is said that glyphosate kills certain bacteria within the gut. Okay. You know if that were true? then you know what would happen? Instead of people being given high-potency antibiotics prior to surgery, what would happen is the surgeon would order up, uh, okay, Mr. Ito, you're going to take a Roundup pill. This will sterilize your gut so we can safely operate on you. And by the way, this fucking pill costs a uh, hundred-something dollars a pill. So I'm not buying it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm completely derailing here. But my, but I know, I know we're going to get a comment somewhere on this that, well, when I, when I switched to eating organic, I felt better. I guarantee someone's going to comment on that. And I just, that's why I yeah, wanted to get this what? out of the way. If you go get, from get eating Captain Crunch six times a day to to replacing it with fucking <laughs> cucumbers and zucchinis, and uh, and kale and 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 meat from from. Whatever source you choose, I promise you're going to feel better, uh, whether whether it comes from GMOs or or not. I just I want to get that point out there. Yeah, because if that is the case, then you know what, Matt? What's the I'd shot? I'd be dead already. No, I'd be dead already. Oh, oh, you said case. And the, re- and the reason why I'd chase. be dead. O- they can chase no, her. I, I'd be, I'd be dead already because let's see, wheat is GMO, right? Yeah. Potato potatoes are GMO. But yeah. I call horseshit on all of that because it is all foods that, again, I prepare. I know what I'm eating. I don't just uh, go down and open a box and throw it in the oven. You know that just doesn't doesn't happen. Get us so... get us back on on track before we get banned here, Demay. Uh, I think I think <laughs> I think the 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 flip side of this is is that there's 
I've yet to see any, again, it's like, it's, it's one of those things where decision makers make a decision uh, with no wherewithal to what the downstream effects are, right? And, uh, and, and I just, I would, I would hate. The unfortunate side effect of this is that what is this going to do to the people of Mexico? And mm-hmm. without any answers to what their anticipatory reaction to that is, it's a, it's a fucking disaster, to be honest. And I don't, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that happen to anybody. I mean, we, we've watched some, some snuff films from, uh, from Sri Lanka that what happened when they took it this to, to, to major scale. And I, I don't, I don't want to mm-hmm. see that happen to our neighbors, especially when we already have a policy in place that is mutually beneficial to, to everybody involved. Yeah. Well, you and, know what? Uh, I, oh, ahead, I don't want to see these guys go hungry and because that's basically the end result where the government takes a very hard line and says okay all gmo crops and anything related to the production of gmo crops is gone right now this instant uh and there's nothing to fill that void uh and by the way you know when you said that the other 80 percent of their corn comes from somewhere else uh if that somewhere else is china or further down South America, like say in Brazil, you know what, Matt? I'd have real concerns about eating stuff from China or Brazil. Do you know why? Uh, Because because of the chemicals they use? Yeah, because, you know, Roundup or glyphosate would be the least of my worries as far as what would be contained within commodities coming out of China or, or further down from, say, Brazil. because uh, Mexico imports unlike, of corn, number one is the United States, number two is China, number three is South Korea, number ooh, four is God. Japan, number five is Germany, number six is Malaysia, number seven is Taiwan, number eight is Canada, number nine is Brazil, uh, number 10 is Vietnam. Uh, so if you replaced pressure from the United States on those other countries, how cheaply are you really bringing in that corn when you're bringing in? You're not bringing it uh, in very, very cheaply. Uh, and yeah. if most of your corn is from is coming from the People's Republic of China, I'm yeah. sorry, but I got news for you. Whereas, mm. at least in the United States, I know that the, F, the FDA is very stringent about what kind of residues are allowed to be on American court? Well, <laughs> I, listen, just, they, I just know they that. Try, they tried it in the 90s with Olester, Ray. They tried to find a new GMO way to make a shit better. But the bottom line is this, <laughs> is that without corn, right, the world, and specifically mm-hmm. Mexico, loses a very important speedometer for their entire digestive tract, right? How fast are you going to know how yeah. fast that stuff's going through you? So, I don't know. Anyway, let's Time's jump up, over to... Over. The returns. Come back. We are back, and uh, you know tonight we got a couple of returns here to talk about nanotechnology, boys. Uh, yeah, really. I mean, it's just it rolls off your tongue. Oh, no, sorry. there was. There's no just nanotechnology. I mean, it's only a punchline of. We're going to talk about nanotechnology, and I've got my pants down, but yeah. Uh, could improve fertilizer study from Utah Water Research Laboratory finds 
So new research from the Utah Water Research Laboratory has found that nanotechnology can reduce the environmental impact of agriculture and may soon provide significant economic benefits. So they go on to talk about synthetic, uh, synthetic and traditional fertilizers and pesticides. And right now they're working with an international team of scientists sought to understand if nanotechnology could develop fertilizers to produce less greenhouse gas gases while still being economically viable. So the, uh, the paper was published in Nature Food. talks about the positive effects, right? Uh, and while, there's groundbreaking, or while there are many groundbreaking findings, it was unknown whether how uh, the innovation of these nano-enabled agrochemicals contributes to the sustainable development of agriculture, said the lead researcher. This has led to question the cost-benefit analysis over whether nanofertilizers and pesticides were both environmentally friendly and worth the added cost to farmers. So, you know, basically what they're saying is that they're looking at this. The, the initial work, and I think they did publish a poster. There was one at the Horton Crop Science uh, meetings that were there in Baltimore here uh, last month, I think it was. And there is some interesting stuff in there, gentlemen, more so about, um, you know, yield relative to nano and traditional, right, with, with nano not really taking that big of a drop. I don't know. I think the question here is, Let's let's talk about the ag part first, and then let's dive into turf because there are some interesting responses, right, to nano fertilizers with turf grass in particular. And I'm curious to hear what y'all think. If we're uh, if we're gonna ditch our spreaders and our uh, skid sprayers and go down to nano backpack foggers and I don't know Ghostbusters <laughs> backpacks. Matt doesn't, Matt, Matt doesn't even know what Ghostbusters is. Remember, he doesn't watch movies. He still is on Lunar Rock. So <laughs> I, where where are we at with this nano thing? Because I know, Matt, you've done a little FAO stuff with FAFO stuff with it. Ray, I think you have too. I have this is more of a this is more of an opinion piece, you know, because the research isn't there yet. They're just kind of getting you all moist about, you know, what potentially maybe could be coming out. And okay. uh, uh, who knows? Right. Ryan, I'm going to start by saying that I trialed and I've also seen people use these so-called low-rate nano nanotechnology type fertilizers and supplements. And guess what I had to do to bring that turf grass back? I had to Regular hit it with my, yeah, my standard... Soluble 202020 and micronutrients because that nano stuff that said, you know, a gallon covers an acre and replaces conventional fertilizer didn't pan out. I mean, for Christ's sake, the grass ended up being phosphorus deficient. I mean, it was just alarming. I mean, I saw the grass literally turn purple and stop growing. And that was because of this magic nano starter fertilizer thing. And I'm not going to name names, but it was <laughs> sold as this product where, oh, you just spray it over the turf at time of sodding and everything will be wonderful. Nothing could be further from the truth. So I don't think we're there yet. Now, I do understand the premise of nanoparticle-type products, 
However, with nutrients at least, we're still stuck with getting the pounds on the ground. Although I do think that in the case of pesticides, mm -hmm. if you can have a product where rather than the active ingredient being in the form of, a, of large crystals, instead mm -hmm. it's, you know, very finely, you know, distributed, dis divided, and then dispersed, then you can see in increased efficacy. But then as far as fertilizers go, nah, I think we need actual pounds on the ground. Because and, and, and it's quantity. I'll say that with with fertilizers, yeah, you're you're really limited there by what you can get. You know, your tissue levels in the plant, right? Because mm -hmm. especially in turf grass, you're going to get up to a certain tissue level. It's going to grow out, right? And then you have to replenish it. Mm -hmm. So this idea that yeah, you may be able to use a lower rate, but it's not necessarily going to alter your your application frequency, uh, whatever the case may be. So by the time you get through the end of the growing season to replenish what you're growing out to maintain that tissue level. Uh, it's probably going to end up being fairly close to apples and apples in terms of comparison. Now, it will be statistically significant in terms of it being less, but uh, just just due to a, a purely efficiency standpoint, I'm going off just uh, total hypothetical here. Uh, but you know, then you've got to play all that into cost per acre and all that fun stuff. So, are you gaining thirty percent efficiency? Are you gaining twenty percent efficiency? Fifteen percent efficiency? I don't know. Um, I'm just going purely off uh, how I could logically deduce that. Now, like Ray was saying, um, you know, using this in different types of uh, 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 pesticide formulations, mm -hmm. I'd say that one of the things I have specifically worked with is nano uh, chitosan and done so with the idea of playing around in uh, mosaic viroids uh, that have affected cannabis and using nano chitosan as a carrier. And pretty interesting things seen out of that, in fact, still have. A multiple year thing going on up with a uh, with a grower in Boston right now, and uh, and it's and it's pretty interesting uh, because those uh, those uh, uh, latent viroids, mosaic latent viroid uh, uh, issues of that come from cloning plants where they're favoring THC versus uh, a lot of the other uh, physiological processes within the plant um, opens them up to be affected by these, and then you know early early development is uh, is impacted, and so using nanochitosan as a carrier. Uh, and that regard up to this point has been has been good. I'm not going to say it's a smoking gun, but it's been good. Um, so I think I think there's a lot more to unpack there. Now, where you start getting into weird uh, 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 safety issues would be if you're dealing with things at the nano scale uh, in and ultra low molecular weights, its ability to move uh, into skin uh, it also is going to increase. Right. So. It's mm -hmm. something you have to keep into the oh. back of your mind. You know, if you've got a nano copper that all of a sudden is, you know, reaching toxic levels in your blood on accident because you spilled some on your arm, that's that's a bad deal. So, you know, that, this is something to keep out. Sorry keep about your on. dementia. Yeah. Okay. Here's a, here's green. what I'm going to kind of like put put out to the, the listeners of the program is, okay, you know, I come from a time when, you know, all of our fungicides, herbicides, and insecticides? I come from a time when just about all of those products, if they could be formulated as such, they were formulated in what was called an emulsifiable concentrate. 
and an emulsifiable concentrate by chemistry and physics counts as a nano type product a colloidal like suspension yeah yeah because when you dissolve say pendamethylin in xylene and then you emulsify that xylene in water that is a nanoparticle formulation already however here's the issue with working with something like that it's very easily absorbed through skin and eyes right extremely easy and the reason why i i keep that in mind is because like back in my time common pesticide formulation and something that i handled a lot of was none other than diazinon 4e that was a xylene emulsifiable concentrate <laughs> let me ask this is uh you know would you rather, right, from a from a lawn care operator standpoint, let's just take those two different scenarios, right? You got a guy mm-hmm. pulling a hose, you know, pulling a three ace hose across your lawn and spraying something, pushing a spreader across, maybe on a you know, a permagreen, something like that, right? Or you've got a, a person with a backpack on that's spraying droplet sizes you can can't even see from inside your window, and Brohim is wearing a full Tyvek suit and a respirator and goggles because he doesn't want to get all that uh that nano shit on him what do you think has better optics there and uh and where does it take the cake uh okay you be the judge I'm of gonna, that one you know i'm gonna i'm gonna put it very simply in that in this day and age showing up at someone's lawn in a time's suit up it's over is a no-go that's a, that's a no-go and you know I cannot tell people and keep a straight face that what I'm dealing with is minimally toxic. If I were in the full Darth Vader getup and saying, oh no, this is perfectly safe. You know, that does, that's not going to fly, you know? So that Fun is... Fun fact, mm-hmm. Sheila has a Star Wars fetish and that's how Ray. Made his first, uh, made his first move, and uh, it just, it just went from that. So you know, when 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 Sheila says it's time to talk like James Earl Jones, Ray comes running. He knows it's time to get down. So all right, with that, we're gonna jump over to the mailbag. Jay Pink, do we have any? Anything? Well, we do. Okay. Well, yeah. let's take a look at this real quick. Uh, Did- I gotta pull this up. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say I've got it pulled up. If you want me to read it. Oh well, go ahead and read it. Yeah. It's uh, it's from Jeff. Please, cowboy. He wrote in saying, uh, hey, guys, living living in the Chicago area and have some dead spots I'd like to help fill in. Should I plan to throw seed at the first melt I get in the new year? Assuming he's talking. Oh, yeah. Even if it snows over top. No pre-emergent was applied in the fall. And if I do apply pre-emergent in the spring, I'd obviously avoid applying where I throw seed. So basically dormant seed. Yeah. What do you think? I, I don't. I don't have a problem with it. I mean, if if you get a if you get a January thaw, something like that, I've I've found that uh, you know if you can go a little bit later, you know, go into February, something like that, and even uh, something that you don't see talked about too often is um, especially as you go a little bit later, 
on frozen ground. You know, the ground's kind of cracked out, a little bit frozen, whatever. If it's open and there's no snow right there, go ahead and throw that seed down. And then as it thaws out, it'll kind of swallow up that okay. seed. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Like it's, uh, it's swinging in a nondescript room and things are <laughs> being absconded by it. Yeah. Uh, or ensconced, yeah. ensconced. <laughs> Yeah, things like that happen. But anyway, yeah, that that's what I did. Boys, any 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 other other thoughts to offer? Are you good? You think you like that one? Yeah, I like it. I, I like it. I love it. I mean, Here we go. Just I love it. Just just throw down some seed and uh, let Ooh. Mother Nature take care of it. Yeah. But one thing, I, two things I would caution you on is, uh, don't put boiling water on your soil first to heat it up. And number two, don't bring your soil it in a microwave and put it in the Tupperware and ruin your <laughs> wife's Tupperware unless you're going to have a Tupperware or, or party a or, or yeah no, and don't don't dirty the microwave because otherwise you're going to have bigger problems than a than a bare spot in the lawn just say let's just keep let's just let's just keep all the the the, the kitchen items in the kitchen and keep that yeah. hard line division there so if you don't know what we're talking about Kevin I'd encourage you to uh, check out the earlier part of the episode. And the other thing I'd encourage you to do is check out two more things that are very, very important to us. Number one is our Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash burn of return. That's where you can find all the absolute uh, tomfuckery that we talk about before (laughs) and after the show. Uh, It's actually pretty fun. And especially for this particular show, uh, our members have uh, the distinct privilege of naming all these shows. So when you see it come out on your favorite podcast platform, you see it come out on YouTube, and it's got some clever, kitschy title. We're too dumb to come up with stuff like that. We rely on our members to do that for us, and they're yeah. very uh, intensely funny people, and they know how to uh, take a joke and give a joke, too. The other <laughs> thing that we need to talk about, gentlemen, is this coming Thursday, right? Uh, we have paid a significant and ungodly sum of money, wine, and women, actually bourbon and women, uh, to get Santa nice. on this show. Uh, Santa will be here answering your questions so there'll be a link in this show's notes there'll be a i think there's a link in the previous uh burner return that we just did and uh if you're a patreon member you'll see it live in our discord here make sure you get those questions in go out and check out the episode we did last year we asked santa about who's naughty who's nice and uh well who's not growing the best turf and uh again i think i said it on the show previously something to this effect but you know, he knew me so well that, uh, you know, on a project I did, I put so much seed in one spot. He said he hadn't seen somebody do that since Peter North. And if that guy knows that, then, well, he's watching. I'll tell you that for sure. So, in any case, gentlemen, thanks so much for attending. Have a great evening, and we'll see you all with Santa. <laughs> the Peter North comment got me. I'm supposed to wait till the end. I'm not even supposed to be talking right now. Sorry, JP. You got me.